Welcome back to A Weirdest Thing Podcast. I am your host, Scotty Milder. We're getting close to uh, the end of the summer, so Amelia is going to be back on regularly real soon. But today we have a very special guest, a really good friend of mine, and sort of a good friend of Albuquerque, like at large. So um, welcome Lauren Poole onto the show. Hi. (laughs) I was going to make a joke like if you didn't say who I was, like, it's me. (laughs) or like it's me the hot air balloon (laughs) so so for those of you guys i I mean i think anyone in albuquerque knows who you are for anyone not in albuquerque lauren how do you like describe what you do well i got local famous from a viral video or a video Mm -hmm. that went viral that i did with my own theater company and we did a thing called shit burqueño say which Mm -hmm. just happened to be at the right time that blew up with the national trend of other like shit moms say shit girls say shit new yorkers yeah how how long ago i mean that was quite a while ago now 10 years ago wow i was i hadn't even turned 26 yet because it was february of 2012 wow and so now we're in 2022 that's nuts and that's nuts that 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 you've been doing that character for that long yeah um, it, was, it was it's weird <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so i mean people like i'm for, not really for, doing it so much anymore but, yeah yeah well and for people who are like outside of albuquerque i mean they're gonna know you from one of two things it's either gonna be that character and the character's name is lynette and then your other uh main uh what's what's your main gig right now <laughs> yeah my band well my it's our band but prison mm. Witch. I always feel like I'm being selfish when I'm like, my band. But like, if the rest of the band isn't with me, then I guess it's cool to say. Yeah, I, I think you can refer you can refer to it as your band, yeah, <laughs> your yeah. collective band. Yeah. We're called Prism <laughs> Bitch, and we're so fun. Yeah, but like, I was trying to think about this, you know, knowing you were coming on. I was trying to think about like how long I've known you. And I realized like, I don't even remember meeting you. It's like you were just always around it yeah you too same i remember (laughs) i remember yeah i think i had i had friends that worked with you i definitely remember the first thing i ever saw you did any of your work was at 48 sweetie Mm -hmm. yeah like that was fucking great like who's Mm -hmm. this guy and then (laughs) orbited and i was like oh this guy's great he's funny he's spooky (laughs) so scotty's become my ghost story friend yeah, for those of you guys who listened to our Halloween episode last year, uh, I have told, I think I've told you that ghost story like four times because yeah, I'm always like, I'll be at a party and you'll be God. like, you'll have some friend and be like, Scotty, come here and tell the story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like, I mean, when did we meet? It had to have been in like the mid 2000s. Yeah, I feel like it was around probably close to when I turned 21. I was mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff with the revolutions festival with trick lock right 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 so many cool like reptilian lounges which is a which was a local variety show like Mm -hmm. a late night cabaret that the theater company trick lock hosted i feel like that was how i got to know you was like through chad brummett and yeah who was on that uh halloween episode and and and, oh yeah and he's uh, in sweetie and i should just put a shout out congratulations it'll probably happen after or it will have happened by the time this episode posts but uh chad is getting married like in like two days or something oh cool i don't even know his lady yeah i haven't met her i'm sure she is 
<laughs> yeah, I, I I just know her through the Instagrams, but I will be at his wedding, so I'll report back gonna, to you. I'm going to stalk him now. Yeah, do it. <laughs> so I first met you, like the context that I know you from is as like through theater and as an actor. So like, what was your like process of like getting started in theater? Yeah, so I grew up in Santa Fe and I always liked performing my mom put me in, in as many things as she could get her hands on cheaply, mm-hmm. right? Like, so whatever things yeah. she could do <laughs> free or whatever. Um, so I was like a theater jock. Like there was one year that I went from mm. a state meet, drove home and performed in a play that night, which was just so fucking silly. But uh, yeah. My what was theater, your sport? Uh, swimming and volleyball. But oh, okay. Swimming. Yeah. I'm but, terrified of the water. So I'll leave oh, that buddy. to you. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah and I remember well we had a theater teacher at Santa Fe High that was he was fucking great like definitely I knew I had a really great theater teacher so much so that I would say I came into the UNM theater program pretty arrogant because mm. like not not like oh I'm the best actor in the world but like I already know all that you know what I mean I just mm-hmm. thought I, was like, I know everything because Joey Chavez rules yeah. and he's a good teacher you know but yeah, it was great. The theater program at UNM, it was sort of like, or at Santa Fe High, it was like, you know, freshman, you, you take a theater class or whatever. And then they would make you do the third, your junior year was film oriented, mm, which was different. The, and I think, and I went to, I graduated from high school in 2004 when Richardson was still the governor and we were mm. starting to get that film incentive shit going. But yeah. Joey Chavez is from Santa Fe, but then he like moved away to LA or whatever and he got his SAG card and then came home to start mm. a family. So he actually had us, it was cool to do some film training in high school. He made us yeah. films and it was great. Yeah, because that's definitely something I remember the theater kids when I was in high school in the 90s. That was not something anyone was doing. And I was in a video productions class, which was a lot of fun, but kind of a joke. Yeah. <laughs> like it was like, but definitely where the burnouts just went to hang out and talk about movies. You yeah. Know? Like maybe it's just <laughs> appreciation is enough to keep you off the street. Yeah. Well, it was great. It was where I like fell in love with 70s film because my video productions teacher, Mrs. Duran, she was great. And like I went into that class is like, the horror guy like i've been the horror guy pretty much your whole life life. yeah (laughs) um and i was only watching horror movies at that point and she was like well you like dark weird stuff have you seen taxi driver have you seen midnight cowboy like she's telling me like this high school kid to watch these movies and that was like really my journey into like finding that weird 70s gritty new hollywood stuff um which i just fell in love with so yeah those those like teachers who like introduce you to things that that's important plus the teachers i swear man especially the public school teachers yeah (laughs) well and it's interesting what you were saying about like going into the university theater program pretty arrogant and thinking you knew everything i didn't of course i didn't know i was an arrogant little (laughs) right well i had a cool teacher at unm named denise schultz who she was my advisor and i think she Mm. kind of was like listen you're not bad but like you like come on you gotta try harder like you're kind Uh, of like it's so funny because i had i was an english major but i had the i had the exact same experience because i went into college i had tested out of english 101 Uh like i think my act scores in english were like super high so like they were like oh you don't 
don't have to take English 101, which to me, I was like, well, clearly I'm a genius. Like, clearly I'm the next William Faulkner or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I, I show up and I'm just like, I'm going to these English classes just really being like a dick, like thinking I knew everything and like not doing my work, like just sort of doing the minimum coasting. Same. Yeah. I was so high all the time for my first two years of college. <laughs> and like, yeah, it was like probably the laziest part of my life. Mm-hmm. A lot of yeah. You guy which I like cringe at now. Like, <laughs> 2004. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I mean, for me, I don't even think it was laziness. I think it was like defiance. I was like, I'm going to show them, you know. Kind oh, no, of I attitude. was just lazy. I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was like defiance because I actually, I had a teacher call or a professor call me out on it. And like, I got real mad at him. Like, he basically was just like, I think I showed up late to a, to a test. And he was like, well, you can't take the test because, like, you showed up in the last 10 minutes of class. So basically go fuck yourself. And I was, like, super pissed and indignant. So I went back to my dorm room and I wrote him a letter about, like, how terrible of a teacher he was. Dear sir. (laughs) Dear sir. Yeah, it was my strongly worded letter. And I went and, like, slipped it under his door um, and was just like. I showed him kind of thing. And then the next class I show up and I'm sitting up front all with this like smug look on my face and he's passing back people's tests. And then he comes to me and he just leans in and like into my ear. He's like, why don't we talk after class? And I was like, yes, why don't we, you know? <laughs> um, and what's amazing is I have no idea where I thought I got off feeling like I was the wronged one here. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, like looking back on it, I'm or like above the above the rules. Like, wh- right. why can't I show up and you know whatever? Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. So I went to his office after class, and he pulls out the letter that I wrote, and I see these red marks all over it. Oh no! <laughs> and he had he had actually graded it and like gone through and fixed my typos and my grammar and stuff. <laughs> and the genius move he did is he gave me a B, and he said this will be this will replace the grade on the test that you missed um so now that that's out of the way what the fuck is wrong with you that's excellent and i i had nothing like i he just cut me off at the knees you oh he's shock and awed you he like, absolutely like you didn't know what the fuck that was about to <laughs> yeah no it was it was just no it was you were smart and that you knew the shit well, that's basically what he said. He was just like, I can tell like you're really good at this, but you're fucking off. Like, what are you doing? Why, why are you, why are you acting the way you're acting, basically? And yeah. basically it was just like a long like talk about like We're you need smart. to grow up and I'm gonna help you grow up, basically. He ended up becoming my favorite professor and I stayed in touch with him for years after college. But what a cool guy. What was his name? Dr. Baker, Richard Baker. He he was an amazing, he he's one of the best instructors I've ever had. And I try to think when I'm because I'm teaching, you know, I teach screenwriting now, but occasionally I'll get a student with a little, little bit of my attitude. And like, rather than just get mad at them, I try to kind of think back to that whole experience and be like, what can I do to like, see if I can get through to this person. And like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you know. That's really smart what he did too, because mm-hmm. he could have and had every right to give you enough on that test that you weren't, ta- that you didn't take. Yeah. But what was smart, I think, and so cool of him is, yeah, that he was like, okay, like I can give this guy an F, but I I know that he Mm -hmm. is capable of an A in this class, but he needs, he, but also in, in the way he reacted to the letter, 
was like what you were expecting him to just keep being whatever mm-hmm. you thought he was, which was a prick or something. Mm-hmm. And instead he taught you about respect and showed yeah, you absolutely. just by holding up a mirror, just by holding no, up that, a that's ex- That's exactly what he did. And like, I, I mean, that was the end of that attitude for me. I mean, I, I think that was my second semester, my freshman year of college and that, I mean, I've always been like an opinionated asshole in a lot of ways, but like that kind of arrogant, sense of entitlement that was done like he really showed me like yeah get over yourself <laughs> yeah I think yeah. I think yeah I, like I knew oh, I'm I'm all right at school and I'm I had a really good acting teacher so this stuff is all just remedial and what I mm. didn't realize is it doesn't matter like if you're doing the same kind of exercises you've done you got to come in with respect Mm-hmm. there is something to be learned even if you're doing something over again because you're not 14 doing it now you're 19 right 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 exactly like get over yourself and you said it was denise who i've never met but i know who she is she was she was a really great teacher of directing which i never learned from her she taught acting classes too i can't remember mm-hmm. exactly what she said to me but i just remember she was really she never felt like she had it out for me Mm-hmm. But she never didn't call me out on my bullshit. Right. And and she said something about, I don't know, I don't remember what she said, but it was something like, yes, you have talent, but you're being lazy. Mm-hmm. And so it's that? like, yeah, it's like a version of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes that's all you need is like someone you respect who you may not even realize that you respect until that moment, you know, yeah. kind of talking like truthful to you. Yeah. Let me shoot straight. Well, and so UNM, you know, has changed a lot since I I graduated in 2008. Um, And there are some really fantastic teachers there, actually, that I don't know who's there anymore, except I know Mm. the, the, the MFA department now. Right. But, um, oh my God, I just drew a total blank. Oh yeah. So, so (laughs) so blackout is a theater company that, that came out of UNM. Right, right, right. Started by Barney Lopez and Chris Walsh went to high school together, but Chris went to school in Boston and then he came Mm. home and then Nathan Simpson, Heather Yo, Jeff Anderson, Nicole Duke, um, I think was the original core. And then they, but we were all sort of around each other. Mm-hmm. That theater company sort of started because everybody was graduating, but what they realized that they, they were like, I want to learn more about improv and clown. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and so we started putting together workshops with community members to teach us the things that we felt like we couldn't get. In oh, school. interesting. That, that's cool. Like I didn't realize that was kind of the impetus. Yeah. And then Chris had come home from Boston in with his film degree and so he was yeah. making all the video sketches where, where did he do you know where he, he went at, to he school went to emerson oh okay yeah because yeah. I, I went to bu which obviously i've talked about on here before but yeah. um i i should i should talk to chris about boston at some point <laughs> yeah i mean he was it was a culture i mean he was a lost lunas boy you know going to right work. and chris i definitely say this whether it's appropriate or not but i call him my work husband he's like my art brother mm-hmm. because everything i've done that i'm really proud of like i don't know like he he made the lynette videos that's right and he's a in he made prism bitch like mm-hmm. he like it was him and I recruiting the band and getting it going. That's right. Yeah. And, like I just feel like everything I do that that I like, well, I just have to do it with Chris Walsh. <laughs> and, and you met and you met him through Blackout, yeah, or did you meet yeah. him through U and M? Okay. Through, through through Blackout through Barney because they were like high school friends that were in a band together that ended right. up becoming Red Light Cameras. I was gonna say Barney 
Albuquerque people will know Barney as uh, he's the guitarist for Red uh, bassist. Yeah. yeah, bassist. Okay. Yeah, and he's just a fantastic person. Mm-hmm. But and then well, and then the Trick Lock Theater Festival that they used to have called Revolutions, which I hope will be brought yeah. back. Yeah. Those awful casualties of 2020, like oh, it was heartbreaking. They they put all this. If you don't know, they it was this international theater festival that basically brought shit to Albuquerque that you would only see like at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or something. Well, they're bringing stuff from like Africa, Poland, Ukraine, like all yeah, over the Australia, world. Australia, literally every every continent except Antarctica is like right. represented and just fantastic shit that it was so cool to see. And I didn't. They had a show called the Vow Vow Sisters that came and it. It was two, um, they're basically circus performing burlesque women mm. in their 40s that would perform musicals stuff too. Oh, cool. It was so great. Like they did trapeze shit. And I mean, they were great. And I was mm-hmm. like, like, wow, that's the kind of show I want to make. Yeah. And then I saw a show from Australia called Dijo en Punta, which was the red dots in mm. German. And Interesting. it's it's these clowns like these they're australian people but their whole shit is they pretend to be german <laughs> brother and sister that are orphaned like kind of spoofing on the white stripes but they're called oh, okay. they're, they're called the red dots that makes sense yeah and so they're and but it's it's a basically when you watch their show it's like the brother and sister she plays drums and he plays guitar and you're watching their concert but really mm-hmm play right like they have this arc that happens and oh that's cool that's how prism bitch got started because i wasn't a musician even though i always liked it and didn't realize that everything i was doing was gravitating towards music yeah i i want to ask like just uh to kind of close out the theater stuff what's interesting to me because my understanding is UNM theater department it like at least back then it was pretty traditional narrative based theater wasn't it I think it? it was like any other I think it was like most things where everybody's doing monologues from the same shows right there everybody's doing a lot of traditional stuff but what was cool about UNM is that they have this theater called the theater X and it's this right. beautiful black box space. That's fantastic. And they let, when I went there, the students, we could do, we could use now it's not that way, but like, that's mm. how Blackout got started. As long as we gave money back to the department, like, Oh, the- interesting. Yeah, they let us throw our sketch shows in this like very nice facility. What's interesting to me is how many people it seems like come out of UNM and really have like worked hard to kind of break the conventions of theater. Mm. Uh, Because I think about Blackout, I think Trick Lock uh, very similarly. I mean, Trick Lock, I think, existed kind of separate from UNM, but a lot of people from UNM have had joined Trick Lock over the years. And like, it's interesting to see how many people have moved into things like clown and kind of more abstract stuff, more experimental stuff coming out of the UNM theater department. What do you think it is that leads to that? Is it, was it the freedom of theater X? Do you think? I think it might have something to do with maybe, and I can't speak to, but like, I think there's something really special about, we talk about this a lot touring with the band is the Albuquerque music scene is like so diverse, like, there's huge metal scene for sure mm-hmm. yeah in new mexico at large but like 
Monica DeMarco. Do you know her? She's um, mm-hmm. she's I've met her, yeah. a local musician. She's in this band, Chichara, and a new band with her guy, but I can't remember what they're called, but they're fantastic. And she's a composer. She got her, comp- I think she got a composition degree at UNM, but she went on tour with the Red Elvises playing keys. In- oh, cool when in like this was years ago i think we were like 23 or something mm-hmm. it's like yeah like like probably around 2009 or something and i remember it was you know cool because she, she was someone we knew that was getting paid to go on tour with a kind of a bigger band right for like a month or two and when she came home i thought oh man like she's just done this big time shit and she's gonna mo- want to move away and i was like what did you think and she was like it just made me love albuquerque more because every place she went like and we hear this a lot we have friends that work in bigger cities where you have access to bigger markets but in Mm. albuquerque you can afford to now it's probably changing now but you could afford to live here and have a 20 hour a week job to pay your bills but Mm -hmm. do the art that you want to do that doesn't pay you yeah yeah that that yeah that is something um like i've thought about and i feel like curious to get your opinion on this Because I feel like it's a bit of a double-edged sword in Albuquerque. Because one of the great things about Albuquerque is, and I think about this in terms of like film, why why we have this like indie film scene here, and obviously we have you know the film incentives and the Hollywood stuff coming in. Mm -hmm. But what is it you know about this community that sort of fosters like things like the Forty Eight Hour Film Project and stuff? And I think New Mexico and Albuquerque in particular, it makes things really easy in ways that other cities don't. It's like the weather's generally pretty good here. We've got yeah. a lot of sunlight. Cost of living historically has been pretty low. Like you said, that's you know maybe changing somewhat over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does. It, it gives people like this freedom to to move. Where if you're in LA, it's just about the hustle. All yeah, the time. I've had a lot of friends. I've had friends be very successful when they move to big cities, but I've also had a lot of friends move to. New York or LA and they have to spend so much time to pay their bills that right. they don't. and and making a new community to mm-hmm. make art with it takes a while once you're out of your 20s like making new friends that you really yeah. off with and can create with that's really special and um hard hard to replicate if you have right. good chemistry or good collaborators in your hometown it's yeah. really hard to move somewhere else and and find that yeah, so I mean that's definitely the advantage of a place like Albuquerque. But I do feel like there's this double-edged sword aspect which is I call it the Albuquerque good enough mentality oh, sometimes. Yeah. Oh no, I know what you mean. Which is you like have a big dose of fuck it. Sure. Yeah, it, well, and it's the whole <laughs> land of manana thing. It's it's like I see people, and I think you see this across the arts. Like you'll have people really like you know using that the freedom that Albuquerque gives them to really like. I think about you guys in Prison Bitch. I think about Amelia with Duke City Repertory Theater. Mm-hmm. There are definitely people who are like using what Albuquerque gives them to really push themselves and do try to do the most interesting work that they can and then there's a lot of people who like i mean going back to our initial conversation about arrogance and laziness (laughs) like i feel like albuquerque gives a little bit too much freedom to do that there's a lot of people who are like kind of doing stuff and they and they feel like it's enough they're not trying that hard so i do think there is there can be a double-edged sword here yeah I think that can be anywhere though, right? Like any right. you'll see someone who's sort of like been a part of something for a while that might be a little burned out or whatever, big fish, small pond thing or mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But like Alex, my partner, he moved home. He's a fantastic, fantastic improviser and Mm -hmm. did it here for years. And he was in LA for like, I think almost five years. I'm not sure. But you know, he, and and when you go to LA, nobody knows you're the big shit improviser Turkey. You're like, "Mm, I'm the the guy or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and that's not how he acts, but you know, but, 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 you know, he had to start at the bottom, whatever, like UCB at the remedial and and just go through Mm -hmm. the thing. And even just finding like in Albuquerque, the box will there's a community there's jams you can go to and those right. things in LA too but for him to get his hands like right in 2020 what he, he, had, he had finally made improv friends that he liked of a like mind and they found a space and they were opening up their own space mm-hmm. and 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 it was going to cost them a lot you know right. to run it but it had taken him three years to get there mm-hmm. and I feel like yeah, the, the cost of this city is if you're smart and if you're resourceful with your networking, you can mm-hmm. you can do things without paying for rent and just being beneficial to the space or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and what you were saying about the, the finding collaborators, I think, is really important because that is something that a, a place like this does give you. When I was in L.A., I have a lot of good friends in L.A., like, and I don't like to, like, sit here and shit on L.A. Like, I have a lot of affection for L.A., yeah. But one thing that happens is it is really hard to meet people and form genuine friendships out there. I've managed to form a few, but like most of my LA friends are people friendships I've formed kind of outside of LA. People have moved there. Yeah. Uh, because like everyone you're meeting in LA without it being malicious or anything, everyone's kind of sizing you up, trying to figure out like what you can do for them. Well, where are you on the totem pole? They're like, where are, well, where you? are you on the totem pole? Yeah. Right. And sometimes it is, it's very statusy, but then sometimes I think it is like what you were saying, you're working so hard just to pay your rent that like, you don't have time to like, let's form a creative partnership. It's always like, what's going to move me forward. And it's yeah, understandable. There's, there's no time to, Hey, next Saturday, do you want to fuck around and make a sketch? Like, do you want right. to, you know, like, there's just no time for that. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed about LA too, is that everybody lives a real rancho away from each other you know what i mean like oh i live in silver lake oh i live in venice fuck you know that's Mm -hmm. that's not easy to get to no because in uh, for for non Albuquerque people, Rio Rancho is like I guess would you call it a suburb of yeah. Albuquerque? It's like our one suburb kind of. Um, but it's like on the northwest side of town, and like from Albuquerque, it's a good 20, 30 minutes to really get out there. Yeah, that distance, that Rio Rancho distance in LA, that's a two hour drive. Yeah. Like, with traffic out there so it's like yeah you you just end up not wanting to leave your neighborhood ever you know mm-hmm. and so i think it is like because i think what you were saying about like um how it's really hard to form friendships and collaborations kind of once you're out of your 20s but i think about like my relationship with amelia we became friends in our 30s and okay. we started working together in our 30s it's just not mm-hmm. as it's it's it's, it's more special you know, you really got right. You're not just like, I'm a young adult with plenty of time to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> but I, th- but I think about like, you know, would we, would we have been able to become friends if we were both living in LA doing our separate things, her acting, me writing, I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure that that would have connection would have formed, you know, yeah. it would have been a lot harder for yeah. sure. 
before we move on from the acting thing so you said like in acting you found yourself moving towards things with like a more musical bent yeah i was part of the so the box downtown has has a short form improv show every friday and saturday night and it's like you mm. know short form is like whose line is it anyway Those right teams. and so i was a part of that for I think about two years and so I was performing improv every Friday and Saturday night and I felt like you know I could be funny but it stressed me out like the only I realized the only things I wanted to do I would be like Michael Scott in that in, in the office when he's taking his improv class and he gets out there and he's like I don't have a guy like you know mm -hmm. what I mean like I just I like watching improv now but I'm like okay that just stressed me out and it wasn't my mm -hmm. thing but what I love doing, anytime they're like, make up a song, no stress, love it. Interesting. Like, yeah, like I could do that shit all day. And and then in Blackout, we because we wrote our own shows and I realized that I kind of didn't want to work. We wrote two musicals and those made me really excited. Mm -hmm. um, I saw one of them. I'm trying, I can't remember what it was called, but it was like not long before you started Prison Bitch. Oh, that must have been Nowhere Girls. I think so. Yeah. The, the, like the one where there's like a brothel where people come. Yes. To, yeah. It's like a, it's like a little bit like Demolition Man or something. Like, <laughs> like the, 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 the women at the, bra the sex workers sort of do, they have this power where you, mm -hmm. they bring your fantasy desires out of you. So you're sort of living in a holodeck mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then people get really addicted to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, that sounds familiar. Like, I think that must've been the show that I saw. Now that I explain that show, I'm like, how the fuck did we convey that in a play? <laughs> Well, one thing that I like about, and so before we move on from Blackout, I want to talk about quarantine and yes. how that came about. So do you want to kind of explain what quarantine is? Yeah, I I was only a part of it for three years and then I left the company and now, it, and now, and you know, we all started the company when we were like 22 and now we're mm -hmm. like thirties and forties. So people grow and change and want to do different things. So now quarantine is run by Heather Yo and Shannon Flynn, who aren't a part of blackout anymore, but blackout ended up becoming, it's kind of like a fraternity. Like we all still like work with mm -hmm. each other. All yeah. The time. But quarantine. So it's an experiential haunted house. Right. So the first one we did, we built in a warehouse in this industrial part of Albuquerque. Again, got a great deal on the space mm -hmm. um, where, so when you come in sort of like a, we were going for like a sleep no more thing. And I think we had done the first quarantine right before we, but yeah, experiential theater has already existed, right? Where you go right. in, the audience is part of the show or whatever. So right. quarantine, we would let people in like eight people at a time and that you wait in line like and the the conceit is that uh the the, the zombie shit has happened right yeah. and, and there's there's train tracks behind the warehouse so we we're like we got to get you processed and then we'll put you on the train to the government mm -hmm. zone or whatever while you're in there there's a breach and and now you got to get out Right. And then we did one in a corn maze with mm -hmm. a with an idea that like you're in a cult. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's the first one I went to. Yeah. Yeah. What what I what I love about quarantine because obviously I've been to haunted houses before. I actually was like part of a couple and they're fun, but it's like you're you're walking through a spooky thing and then the guy jumps out with an axe and yeah, you're like, oh, and then, yeah, yeah, it's jump scares. And I like, I remember when I did in college, our college radio station put it on. 
I was uh, Norman Bates's mother. So I was wearing like, <laughs> the bathrobe and a wig and I had a big plastic knife mm-hmm. and I would jump out of like a closet and scream and people would ah, and run away. But that was like literally all it was. Mm-hmm. What I love about quarantine is that incorporation of theater and storytelling into a haunted house. How did that I, I develop? Can't what all the influences are, but now I realize one of our big, big influences of it was um, actually Meow Wolf before they had the the, mm. the the big thing that they are now. They had done this exhibit in Santa Fe before they even had a space at the CCA where they um, built a, a pirate ship, like a galleon. They mm. had a full-size galleon that the idea was this crew has landed on an alien planet mm-hmm. and it was just the most fantastic. I mean, if anyone's been to Meow Wolf or just look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about, but like now the mm. House of Eternal Return is a thing where like basically they have a Victorian house inside of a, it was a bowling alley and right. very, very fully realized environment with care. Mm. So on this pirate ship, you could go down below decks. Well, I guess they weren't pirates. They were a crew. And you could see in everybody's cabin, there were journals, there were letters, mm-hmm. their bunks were decorated. And I think that was really exciting to us to make some kind of environment where, yeah, like you were walking around in the show. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> definitely always wanted to do this thing like with the zombies. You know, those fly traps that they have that have like a really oh. nice- smell yeah yeah, yeah. like you know because i always was like man we have these zombies like what if it smelled like rotting like how scary (laughs) would that be like but i think it was really smart that blackout always told me no because (laughs) you have to work there for eight hours and yeah that that would be hard on you guys (laughs) (laughs) but i mean how spooky right like right what i love about that and it's one thing one thing i love about quarantine and blackout is like I think, and it's something Amelia and I have talked about, it's very easy to get pretentious about theater, right? It's very easy to be like, you know, caught up in your idea of like, I'm an artiste kind of thing. You know, it's, it's seen as this elevated art form. Yeah. And I'm so, I mean, I'm into heavy metal, punk rock, horror movies. Like I always resist elevated art. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not interested. What I love about Blackout and Quarantine is that you guys were a theater company. I know you're not involved anymore, but you were a theater company that would embrace pop like almost a pop art sensibility and embrace pop culture and embrace like there's something about quarantine that's very pulpy very mm-hmm. pulp horror and so when you're talking about the like the smell thing i'm thinking like that this is exactly what william castle the the producer oh, like in the, the 50s used to do and, yeah with this with the theater seats and stuff too mm-hmm. yeah like the tingler the seats would vibrate and he actually had something uh, i don't remember which movie but it was like called smellorama i think it was like scratch and sniff cards yeah Ooh. So it's like, I, I love that you guys kind of embrace that. Totally. Uh, so Prison Bitch, this grew, like Prison Bitch grew out of basically like a, a theater concept, right? Yeah. Like we were doing this thing with Blackout where we were like, okay, how do we foster, you know, because we were doing a lot of, it was so socialist and democratic, which I mm-hmm. 
love, but like when you have 10, 12 people and you're like, let's all agree on everything we make and all work on it together. <laughs> that's nice. But, but like, you know, it's easy. You like hurting cats. Yeah. And, and it's, it's easy to be like, wait a minute. Like, you know, Danny's got this thing she wants to work on and we haven't done it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, Lila's got this thing she, you know, whatever. And where you're, where you're like, wait a minute, we're sort of not. So what we were doing with blackout was like, okay, everybody think of your passion uh-huh. project and what is that that you want to make and how would blackout support it or whatever and i had realized from the shows that had made me the most excited the Bavao sisters and the dihot and punta and all that and i was like i want to do a show where it's like a band like like a cap something cabaret something musical and so mm-hmm. prism bitch and it's funny because i think the idea came right before orange is the new black or, i don't mm. know but that was that it was around that time yeah yeah it was totally in the zeitgeist or whatever it was like in everyone's collective unconscious but i mm-hmm. thought okay what if for the show were these prisoners were these inmates and the show is us like performing like the warden is sort of parading us around like hey we're from blah 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 regional facility to show you how we're rehabilitating our inmates mm-hmm. Look how art is good for them but then like we also were sort of the idea would be that maybe we were sort of still just getting paraded around mm-hmm. um and really like censored and then maybe at the end we would break out or whatever and we'd ask the audience for cigarettes and stuff and so when mm-hmm. we performed our shows we would wear jumpsuits and then chris was the only guy in the band so we were like, mm-hmm. okay, how is he in the band? So we dressed him up like a prison guard. Right. And we we're like, okay, so the conceit is, you know, we would kind of perform in character and we'd be like, okay, so Chris is sneaking us off of litter duty to go do a gig really quick because he wants to be in a band too. And then he's got to take mm-hmm. us back. Right, right. And the other band members, so are uh, Lila Rose, and she's fantastic. She's originally from like Sedona. She mm. went out to school for music in Boston for a little while. Was she at uh, Berkeley? Uh, she was, or no, uh. she, she was in a feeder program that was going to go into Berkeley. Oh, okay. And then she moved to Nashville for a little bit. And then she had one of her best friends got diagnosed with cancer that had progressed mm. really really far and they were only like 20 years old and her, oh, wow. and her friend passed away oh, and no. so she came home to like you know be with her friend as as she was getting treatment and stuff right okay so that really affected her a lot and then she came to albuquerque after she was in arizona because i don't know god sent her to us i guess but then mm. <laughs> and then um teresa our drummer is from sacramento bay area our uh, navy brat so she's from everywhere okay and she's um yeah she was in a band in albuquerque called floozy mm. um it's funny because when we met her, she was filling in for our buddy Ryan Scarada in another band. And I, I wouldn't have seen her if she, and Chris wouldn't have seen her yeah. if, if, if she hadn't have been filling in that gig. So it's just like happy accident, just yeah. right place, right time. Well, I remember when you, because when you guys first formed, I remember you telling me the whole concept and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I remember going with uh, our friend, our mutual friend, Corey. Uh, yeah. is, I've talked about him on here. He's my usual cinematographer when I'm shooting stuff. He's so good. And uh, I remember singing, I think it was probably the first show I saw you guys in was probably at the launch pad. And you were, yeah, you were wearing the like prison jumpsuits. I remember you were kind of talking with like a, like a redneck accent, like you were in <laughs> character. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I do remember Chris in the, in the, uh, the guard uniform. And I remember I really enjoyed 
the conceit and it did feel like these are theater kids having fun you know with this but the thing was and this is where i want to move to talking about the band is i sort of you told me you were doing this band you were like oh it's kind of a punk rock band and i was expecting it to be like oh it'll be like theater kids sort of pretending to be punk rock and then i watched the show and i was like no this is punk rock like (laughs) like this is actual like like they're fucking good like you guys were like good right away oh thanks you said you didn't play music but so you play bass in the band and you're one of the vocalists how how did that all come about well i was supposed to sing and play tambourine because i couldn't play an instrument Mm -hmm. and then rachel shapiro our mutual friend uh she played bass and okay and we were like okay rachel be in the band and then she decided to move home to la where she's from and then Chris and Lila and T were like, no, you're going to learn bass. I was like, you think I can? They're like, yeah. So definitely the first songs we wrote were written around what are Lauren's abilities? (laughs) (laughs) Makes it a little easier because there's like three chords or two chords in some songs, you know? Right. I mean, how long did it take you to pick it up? Because like the last time I saw you, you're like, you're real good. Oh, thanks. Um, I really enjoy it. I'm not noodling. I'm not sure. I think my bass playing is just, it's simple and I keep on the beat. <laughs> That's all I'm worried about. Well, you know that? But yeah, right away. Like, I mean, I had to, I started, I think we got me a bass at Music Go Around or something in, in January and our first show was in March. Wow. So like two months to learn basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, I, I played bass for like a minute my senior year of high school. And like literally a minute, I think. Like I was all excited to learn. I ordered one. I remember I was an Ibanez. I even got an amp. What made you want to learn bass? Who was um, it? This was like the beginning of new metal. Okay. This is embarrassing. And like I loved like corn and stuff at the time. It was like a lot of like like I was I was I've always been into metal. But like if you listen to like eighties metal, you don't listen to that unless you're maybe talking about Motorhead or something. Yeah. You don't listen to eighties metal typically and go, Oh, I can play that. Because it's like Yngwie Malmstein and shit. It's like shredding and solos. It's like classical and... music sped mm-hmm. up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and loud. Yeah. <laughs> and, and about dragons or whatever. But like <laughs> <laughs> But like when, you know, there was the grunge era, which I actually have talked about on the show, you know, in the early 90s. And then kind of that 94, 95 is when like corn hit. Mm-hmm. And I remember corn. I mean, you probably would have been pretty young because you're like eight years younger than me. I was in high school. So you you probably were pretty young for this. I remember corn getting really big at the end, like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And- yeah. And that was so cool. It, but I, I feel like the new metal thing took a direction that I was like, okay, it, yeah, dark and sad, and it feels like a fucking saw movie. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> it's it's unfortunate because like, and I don't, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but let's just talk about corn for a minute. <laughs> um, corn. When I first heard them as junior high school, it was their first album. It was the it was the self titled one with the picture of the little girl on the swing. Yeah, but, yeah. What is that one called? Like, it's just corn. okay yeah and uh i remember the guy who worked at there's this guy 
Uh, I'm just going to say his name. His name's Abe. Still like Facebook friends with him. I haven't talked to him in a little bit, but he was the, he worked at the local music store in Los Alamos. His dad owned the store. And then he was like a couple years older than me and just like worked there. And he introduced me to all of the like metal punk rock shit. He's the one who got me into Faith No More, like all that stuff. He was just like, everyone's, you know, you've got the guy or the girl that like, the, could be an older brother or something the archetypal older sibling of music yeah East. yeah and that was you know I, and i do have an older brother who got me into stuff like you know he got me into pink floyd and david bowie and stuff when i was younger but abe was the guy who got me into the harder stuff and i remember him pointing to the corn album and was like you got to pick this up and i was like I think it was like I didn't want to spend the money on it or whatever and then like I was in Santa Fe like a week later and I found it for five bucks at Rare Bear Records in the cutout Rare Bear uh r.i.p rare bear and i was like okay what is this and there's like no pictures of the band uh, i think there was maybe one picture on the back and they're all wearing hoodies and you can't see their face yeah. <laughs> and like and i was just like what is this and then i saw one of the song titles and i'm trying to figure if i can i don't want to say it on air it's the <laughs> f word meaning gay people sticks or bundle of sticks bad yeah. word for, for a gay person yes exactly and i and i i didn't notice that before i bought the album and so i saw that and i was like oh fuck i was like what is this gonna be yeah. and i put it on and i immediately went to that song because i was like i need to know what this is in the the song if anyone knows that song it's all about how he jonathan davis lead singer of the band was called that tormented and called that and it, it's basically like this like rage against the bullies and it was so raw and like that whole album was so raw and so menacing but also like emotional and it was really mysterious because like you didn't know who these fucking dudes were it just kind of came out of nowhere nothing sounded like it yeah and so i just it was like it blew the top of my head off and i remember wanting to learn to play bass because of that and then i got my bass in the mail and literally like one minute in i was like no this is too hard like I gave up. <laughs> but what i remember is i could not keep time like i was trying to play a hey man nice shot the filter song because it's only yeah. basically two notes on the bass and i could not keep time and i was like fuck this and i gave up um. <laughs> i kept trying to learn guitar and i and i was like oh i hate this like i hate chord shapes with my hands and i don't like something if i'm not good at it right away so i was just like this sucks mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to play an instrument because I like jamming and making music and making mm -hmm. up songs but yeah so when they were like no 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 you'll learn bass and I was like okay do you think mm -hmm. so um and what's great is that everybody else in the band is a is a virtuoso and can play many instruments and has mm -hmm. been for a long time and they're all so good and so patient and yeah and so like they our songs especially in the beginning were constructed around okay Lauren you just hold down the C and the A do it mm -hmm. at the right time and if you weave enough shit in it'll it's it's a song <laughs> yeah how, how what's your like being that you're like sort of playing cat because i do want to talk about the other guys in the band because they you're right there's like some virtuoso music oh, before we get too band. far away from corn can i just say yeah Go Scotty, ahead. you would appreciate this. Um, yeah, when we were in LA last November recording some songs, we like to go out there to record with our friend Toshi. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he 
<laughs> we we like we listen to corn as a band sometimes <laughs> get pumped up yeah and so we slip so sometimes me and lila will slip in a good jonathan davis like go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to, nice. to like fuck with each other <laughs> that's awesome i love that yeah <laughs> it's so funny the corn thing because like i mean it was a revelation to me in 94 mm-hmm. by 97 98 it was like so fucking played out it probably was what it was like for the for the people who are a little older than me and discovered nirvana in like 1990 yeah you know before nevermind hit by the time we got to 93 94 it was just like people were done with grunge you know yeah. and i feel like what happened with the whole new metal thing is you had some really interesting bands you had deftones you had corn i mean you could even lump in tool but they're kind of their own thing yeah um almost like there's an industrial dark- right like there's a vibe of, it's a specific of, yeah but it it turned into just meathead rock so quick like it was limp biscuit and crazy town and like oh my god it was the worst <laughs> like it's so disappointing because you go back to the like the first two corn albums are, are fantastic but then they even kind of bought into the meathead thing after a mm. while so like anyway that we don't need to keep talking about new well, metal, well <laughs> and, and we always think about them because we drive up and down the west coast a lot so going Mm -hmm. from LA to Sacramento, which we do a lot. Go through Um, Bakersfield. Go through Bakersfield. And I'm like, oh my God. And so I was, we were, when we were touring, I was trying to book us in Bakersfield. That's a country town. Oh, absolutely. The Bakersfield, I have a bunch of family out there that I don't know, but yeah, the whole country music connection. Yeah, I was like, but then I had this, I don't know. I think that's what brought them back into my brain was this appreciation. I was like, oh my God, this is where, this is where corn came from. Mm -hmm. This is, this is honky tonk world. And when you go through there and you think about the anger and particularly in those early albums, it's like, oh, it makes sense that they're from here. They did not fit in in Bakersfield. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's Bakersfield so fascinating because it was like the anti-Nashville because Nashville was like, I mean, in a weird way, Corn does fit in there because like Bakersfield was like the kind of punk rock country, like outlaw country place. Like the Bakersfield sound was a little rawer. The Nashville I don't know much about their music. Yeah, that makes it's, yeah, it, it was this kind of counterpoint to Nashville, which was very like produced and like Patsy Klein stuff like, like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was much more honky tonk in yeah. Bakersfield. So well, and then there's so much farming. There's so many blue collar people living, mm-hmm. you know, away from yeah. in California that you're really making music for the salt of the earth people and touring. Right. Them. Yeah. It, it's an it's an interesting town it's not a place i would want to live <laughs> um it does kind of, and you can kind of understand where ben like corn why they were just so mad you know yeah that, exactly <laughs> i was like oh you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so you learned the bass mm, still um, learning it wouldn't say i'm great at it but i get by what what is your like practice regime like and and how do you go about learning it like are you learning how to read music or is it just like kind of by feel like for me i i uh i don't play chords i play notes on uh-huh. individual strings and so i know like what you know where all the a's are where all the e's are where all the you know and so on okay. um on the on the bass and then when we we write a lot of our songs through jamming Mm -hmm. so like sometimes some of our songs like were written as a joke especially when when i was learning bass or someone Mm -hmm. there i I was just 
playing around like oh beep boom boom like you know just making it as a joke pretending like I was playing mm-hmm. it really good but then Lila and Chris and T would take it very seriously and actually mm-hmm. turn it into a jam and be like nope keep playing it <laughs> and then we that's it into that's cool yeah and so there that's that's um the last we just wrote this last batch of songs we got together in April of 2021 T our drummer she works she's an occupational therapist at a hospital so during 2020 we really couldn't get together because mm. she was totally slammed right with COVID cases and you know we couldn't get together and Lila lives in Las Vegas Nevada so we're not right. together but we all got together and we rented a cabin uh near Angel Fire oh cool like four yeah. days and we just to jam and we wrote like 11 songs in two days Oh, nice. I think we were really pent up and missed playing together. <laughs> but what we were, they were all, they all came really simply like one of us would turn to the other one and be like, tell me a joke right now. Or like mm-hmm. Lila, be a bug or something like that. Like we were just trying to be a little bit silly and absurd mm-hmm. and then something would come out of it. Yeah. Not all of them are my favorite songs, but we've gotten some really good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the like building around jams because the, it is like you know it's it's that free I, I think about it like in terms of like what I do as a writer like sometimes I'll have just kind of a half-baked idea and then I just I'm like I'll just start writing something and just see where it goes yeah. rather than try and structure it and get it perfect right away and sometimes the most creative stuff you come up with you come up with that way because you're kind of giving yourself permission just to be like I don't know if this is any good but let's let's follow let's go down this rabbit hole you know yeah and I think that for us that works well or for me especially like we can go through and refine it later and go right. okay, like what do we add or whatever but there's something about that way of creating if you do it that quickly and that sillily and obviously we feel very comfortable around each other and don't feel judged mm-hmm. or you know, I mean, we feel comfortable, but like, if you do it that quickly or that improvisationally, you don't have time to judge it. Right. right. You can get like with your writing, you can get, the, try to get the idea out before you're thinking about how dumb it is. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I have a thing I, I tell my students occasionally when I'm in a little bit of a salty mood <laughs> is uh, I'll say like, don't follow formula. Like don't, when you're trying to write a script, don't look at what is like popular in Hollywood right now and try and do that. Free yourself to chase your muse up your own ass. Yeah. And and try and catch a hold of its tail. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, you know, mm-hmm. but like you have to let yourself go there and you'll come out with ideas that seem really stupid. And so Sometimes they are really stupid and then you figure it out and you kind of put it aside. But sometimes you come up with stuff that like you never would have thought of otherwise. And my, some of my favorite songs that we've made are the ones that definitely were approached more jokey, but Mm -hmm. end up having kind of a something, I don't know, like a real comment on something. Like, I don't know sound any of them are but like you know they're pretty (laughs) honest way we feel about things which feels good (laughs) yeah (laughs) so do you want to talk about the other uh, musicians real quick so i knew chris a little bit before the band i didn't know Teresa at all lila was a total revelation to me like oh my god yeah she's like like just talk about her real quick because like she was not what i expected and and but yeah so Anyway. Well, so, well, I mean, so Lila is, uh, she's, I guess she's been 
playing music since she was a real little kid. Mm -hmm. She's just such a charismatic performer. Right. She's really fun to play with and to perform with. She really gives it to the audience and isn't Mm -hmm. afraid of them. And she definitely, what ends up happening in our shows is we'll all sort of wind each other up. But she's, I think, doing most of the pushing Mm -hmm. with the like, with the energy. And so it's, it's, yeah. And her voice is great. It's so fun to sing with her because we have very Mm -hmm. different voices. Mm -hmm. But But you guys harmonize really well. Like they go together really well. Yeah, it's fun. Like what I love about singing with and making music with Lila is she'll start singing something and then my brain will, yeah, like come in and fill in parts that are are different Mm -hmm. naturally. So that's Yeah, Yeah. I think when you guys, when you were telling me about the band before I saw you, you told me about her. I'd never met her. And, but you said, oh yeah, she's got, she's a musician. Like she's got her own stuff. And I looked her up on Facebook and and it was like all this very like ethereal. Electronic. Yeah. Kind of like singer songwritery. Like, and I was like, how's this going to work? Like this (laughs) isn't. This is not punk rock. But I was like, okay, well, we'll see. And then the first show, it was just like like watching an explosion on stage. Like she, the way she just like owns that stage. And like you said, the energy. Yeah. And when she, you know, because she, it seems like the way you guys go about it, at least live, is you generally start off with her on keyboards. Yeah. We, we then, yeah. the first sets we tried to do, we would sort of make the order, whatever we wanted the order to be. But then we realized because half the song she's on keys and half she's on guitar. So mm-hmm. if we're switching back and forth, that's so much dead time in between the songs. So now right. we try to start out with keys so we can do those and then strike the keys so that we're not spending time flipping between instruments. Right. Yeah. So I remember, you know, watching her on keys and then she pushes the keyboard aside and grabs the guitar. And it's, I mean, it is like watching Randy Rhodes or somebody like she is a virtuoso and the way then like her stage presence and like, she'll jump out in the crowd. She stole my hat one time and like wore it for half of the show. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's, she's like a magpie. Yeah. Like if you're in the front row and you got something dangly or shiny on, she might share it with with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's totally true yeah. um how is that dynamic because like you guys all like she is so such a dynamo and i feel like everyone brings something their own like element to the band like i think of like Teresa and chris are just such a like backbone like they're just like just it feels like just holding the whole thing together like yeah. How does that dynamic work with all of you guys? I guess, what do you mean? Like, we just, do we get along or how do, do we decide who does what or? Yeah, well, like, how, how how do people fall into, like, particular roles, like, when you're writing a song? Like, like just oh. what does that process kind of look like? Um, the, I, I think the creation process feels pretty organic. Yeah, we definitely were, if, I, I shouldn't, you know, if we're talking the history of Prism Bitch, we'd be remiss if we didn't mentioned nelson oh yeah bud that was in the project for a while too so we were a five piece for a little while and then like and then nelson left in 2020 we still you know love each other but like he's Mm -hmm. going to school for Mm -hmm. (laughs) right cruises but yeah but um and he really brought some yeah he he came from the diy punk rock art world Mm -hmm. definitely put us in contact with some fun fantastic people uh you can his riffs are really crunchy and interesting Mm -hmm. and it uh, seemed like you guys got 
like with Nelson and the band, you guys got kind of harder. Like there was almost a little bit of like hardcore metal. Well, then we because Nelson, once Lila's on guitar, we have three guitars going. Yeah. So we could really <laughs> go hard if there's three guitars going. Yeah. I think the dynamic was it was I think it was more that we had to talk about more because I think it was more difficult for Chris and Nelson, but also ended up making some really interesting guitar parts because they had to work Mm -hmm. together to make sure that they were blending. And if I'm doing something different, what are you doing? And, you know, I mean, that is definitely like atypical. You don't usually have three guitars, particularly in like like you'll occasionally find it in like a metal band. And then everyone's like, you know, jacking off with their own solos and stuff. But like um <laughs> for like a more raw kind of punk band like you guys, that is not typical. I saw you guys perform, I think, one time with Nelson. And it was it was it was a different vibe. I liked it. It it did feel there was a level of like aggression that felt a little different to me. Not yeah, like no, meanness or anger, but no, just like no. a like charging kind of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, and 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 yeah, Nelson's got a great background as a as a singer songwriter as well. And yeah, before we started playing together, definitely like yeah, like loved his music. And um, yeah, and, but it's, yeah, it's just interesting to go from that five piece back to the original four piece. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that was so, I'm happy we did that, you know, but there is, yeah, it's just, it is, it is different. I think our, the four of us have a process where we, with just four people, you can lock in really quick with the yeah. and stuff. And so that's, that's pretty good. But um, yeah. What like, what are the influences you guys like? What are the bands you listen to that you feel like you're drawing from the most? I think we draw a lot from the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Me personally, like I think some D, some B fifty twos. Okay. Yeah. With, with Lila, maybe more like she she. Well, I mean, we all listen to a lot of things, but um, yeah, like like T was raised on like Queensrÿche and and like like okay. metal yeah. and like Van Halen and like her brother, who's such a badass, such a good older brother. He bought her her first drum set. He has mm-hmm. all these Van Halen replica guitars and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they were in bands together, and then Lila's brother is in a pop punk band, and he's been such a good big brother and and like you were talking about Lila like how you were listening to her music and we're like huh how is this gonna work and I I don't know she could tell you she would have to tell you this herself but my feeling is I get the sense that in Nashville and and her and she does have some singer songwriter stuff that's like beautiful but she's always had a I think a rawness and a rockness inside Mm -hmm. that I think people sort of told her no 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 we're doing this like this is a marketable thing interesting this is this is you know she I think she was more well and also you discover things and change because some of the stuff Lila's written is really electronic some of it is real like like straightforward singer songwritery I think this stuff the first stuff I heard was kind of folky almost yeah yeah not country but definitely that yeah I think that was like I think she was in a relationship with a person where she was backup singing in his band and Mm definitely felt like a little bit like babe like uh like this is my band (laughs) yeah that's not great i just can't imagine how stifling that must have felt so definitely i think yeah she's clearly got the um because when the first time i saw you guys live it was just like oh there's this whole other side to this person who i had never met i only knew from like listening to a few songs on facebook Mm -hmm. but it was just like where did that come from 
And then now when I see you guys perform, it's just like, she's so, it's just so, so clearly her, you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, and then Chris too, like I would say, Chris, he listens to, well, we all listen to a lot of stuff, but yeah, a lot of soul, a lot of hip hop, um, mm. maybe, well, now he's making a documentary on the like sort of indie rock DIY scene in Albuquerque. He sees oh, a lot cool. of shows. Um, but yeah, Chris, I think, does not go a day without touching his guitar mm-hmm. at least an hour. I think he he's like Chris is he comes yeah. through like editing film and speaking to you with the guitar. He's a quiet guy, you know. Mm-hmm. He's also one of the funniest people I've ever known. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And then t- likewise, T's wild. She's this mm-hmm. little, this little mild-mannered lady. Who works occupational at therapist yeah. right. and then you see her running around in her tracksuit with a glass of whiskey and i turn <laughs> and then i turn back and there's like three dudes around her hanging on her every word while she talks mm. about gear then i like walk away and i come back and then there's five guys around her hanging on mm. her <laughs> <laughs> well i definitely you know I'm, I'm you know talking about lila as this kind of guitar prodigy i really don't want to take anything away from chris because like like i said his playing feels like like there's something that's just such the anchor to me when I watch He's, you guys. Yeah, his stuff is so uh his riffs are so solid and catchy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And what did a friend say when he saw us in New Orleans? He was like, Chris's guitar, like because I've seen people, and it's not that Chris can't fuck around and noodle and do some crazy like Yeah, because he'll do a little bit of it in the show. Yeah, but but it's what I appreciate about Chris's playing is he's not jacking off all over you. Like, look how good I am. He's like, what is interesting in the song? Mm -hmm. You know, like maybe I'll pepper some stuff here and there, but he keeps it simple enough that, yeah, I think we all. And it gives, you know, like it gives Lila room to be so explosive, you know, like they feel like a classic. I don't know if this is the terminology you guys use, but they feel like a classic rhythm guitarist, lead guitarist kind of. Oh, totally. Yeah. Relationship. And you need that. You know, it's it reminds like I'm gonna be a metal dork for a minute, but there's something that reminds me of James Hatfield and Kirk Hammett and Metallica. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> you can't have one without the other, you know, you need yeah. them to balance each other. And it's that that's the thing that I'm so impressed with with you guys. Like right out of the gate, you guys had a just like a fully realized sound, even when you were doing the kind of more, you know, playing in character and stuff. It was like the sound was there, you know, the perspective well, was there. And that's like, I mean, I guess we didn't talk about it, but, you know, obviously we changed the band name because it was like we were mm-hmm. prison bitch for a year and we were like, OK, we're going to make this play. We're going to make this play. We're performing in character mm-hmm. in a year. I think we just want to be a band. No one's right. interested in making a play. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so, so it was like actually supposed to lead to an actual play. That was yeah, the plan. it was supposed to. Yeah. We were going to develop some kind of hour long show. And I think that's kind of how we got Lila and T roped into the thing, too, because like, you know, Lila was figuring out Albuquerque. She has mm-hmm. solo stuff she's working on. T was at this point where she was like, I'm done being in bands. I don't want to mm-hmm. be in bands anymore. I just want to play drums for me. Chris mm-hmm. was in red light cameras, which is obviously a big commitment. Right. And so everybody was like, like well let's just work on this project well you know the project became kind of took on a life of its own. <laughs> that, that it just okay it needed to be a band yeah well and it i mean that is so interesting to me that like you guys weren't conceiving it as like a real band quote unquote 
because I saw you guys and it was like they're a band. Like you guys felt like a band to me. Yeah. <laughs> and when and when you changed the name and kind of dropped the the characters, because now you just you're you're you guys on stage. Yeah, we were like, okay, how long are we gonna and how and and we didn't want to do something that was gonna get old to us. Mm-hmm. Let alone, it, well, it felt like a real natural pro- progression. Yeah, it was know? like okay, we've done this for a year, and it felt like you know we were sort of like a jumping off point was sort of we were writing these songs like okay these could be songs written by women in prison or you know like uh-huh. but then we were like okay let's just scrap writing from character point of views and just open up mm-hmm. our own point of view. So what was like the first song you guys wrote that felt like? Oh, this could go somewhere. Like, this is clicking. Well, I think it's a song that you made the video for. Oh, okay. So it was. Yeah, when we yeah, made, yeah. I think that song, Yeah, Yeah, like, that was the one that people were like, what the fuck? That's great. So, <laughs> I say the F word so much. Um, That's, uh, I mean, if you listen to this podcast, we're, we're not shy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we earn that. our E rating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should expand my vocabulary. But like, uh, yeah, I think that was, that was one where we were like, okay. this stuff i thought we had that first five song album and i feel like mm-hmm. you know everything like that one and definitely i think you got i want has the most like that that one that and yeah yeah definitely right away we were like oh shit up that step to your house familiar marks the smell the smell It was fun. It was fun making the video. Um, maybe I'll post a link to the video. Yeah, if uh, listeners, you can see Scotty is a really creepy prison guard. That yeah, real creepy. Squeezes my tit. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've thought about it in the years since, and I'm like, I don't know. Maybe that went a little too far, but, yeah, but, it, but it people seem to enjoy it. So you know, and it I plays because we get to kill you. Yeah, I was gonna say like I definitely get my comeuppance in the video. <laughs> <laughs> um. Where, where, so I don't want to like uh put you on the spot about this, uh, but you do have a relationship with a pretty big band. I just wonder if you could like talk about that a little bit, yeah. So we met the band Built to Spill at a festival in Idaho called Tree Fort Mm, Music Fest because that's where Built to Spill is from. And if you don't know who Built Built to Spill is, they're a great indie rock band from the nineties that really like it's fronted by Doug Marsh and he's the auteur. He's the, it's, he's it's the guy. A, yeah. yeah. It's been a revolving, you know, cast of different musicians playing, playing with built to spill. And so when we met them, they were, there was, you know, uh, Steve and, and Jason were in, were in the band. I, th- I think Brett Netson had just left. And then there was two Brett, so I hope I don't mix them up. And then anyway, <laughs> we met them, and um, what was cool now that we've gotten to be really good friends with Doug is uh, 
yeah, like he, we, we didn't know, you know, he had seen us play and, and really liked us, mm-hmm. but I built to spill is definitely, you know, coming up from the early two thousands, like you, you know, when, when like, if I wanted music, I had to buy it. I couldn't mm-hmm. just stream everything. And so yeah, pre Spotify, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pre, like there was that beautiful year of high school when I had Napster before they shut it down. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like I, I remember having a lot of friends that were into Built to Spill, but I didn't know mm-hmm. them. Like I'd sort of missed the boat. But Chris, I had too, yeah. Yeah, and Chris really got into them in college in Boston, and Lila was really into them. I think college as well. And so me and T were sort of like we had heard of them. Built to Spill didn't really know them, but then yeah, so so we someone after we played was like hey like the guy from build to spill saw your show and he he was into it we're like oh cool and lila was like what and i didn't realize her and chris were big fans and so mm-hmm. lila was like we're gonna go like meet them we're like okay so yeah. <laughs> they were playing in the same festival so we met him and we were like hey if you if you ever come through albuquerque we'd love to open for you and doug was like okay yeah and you <laughs> and, did because that's yeah. the first time i saw because my like I, I kind of missed the boat on built to spill too until the early two thousands. I had a couple friends here. It was after I moved to Albuquerque, and I had a couple friends who were super into them. And uh, I was like, "Who's this band? I'd never heard of them." So I kind of missed that nineties heyday. But then it was like, "Oh, the, this is like you could just tell like why that band has such a following." You know, yeah. and they I don't even know how many albums he's put out at this point. Yeah, but um, at least six. Yeah. Seven. Well, and with other bands too, he was in a band called the Halo Benders mm-hmm, right. and before Built to Spill, a band called Tree People. And they oh, were okay, yeah, that that's right. Tree People and Halo Benders. He was in the Seattle scene around Nirvana and them stuff mm-hmm. too. Yeah, no, I that's that's right. I always forget about Tree People because I I actually knew Tree People before I knew Built to Spill. Oh, cool! So, yeah. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but then we um, a little bit with them, yeah, and then and now T is in the current built to spill lineup. So she's yeah, that's what I was wanting to tour. lead to. So how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, we toured together a bunch and got along, and I and I think Doug liked how T played, and honestly, mm-hmm. I think he's like, okay, I've been playing music with dudes, nice dudes that are good musicians for right. you know thirty years. What you know it's time to do something different mm-hmm. and, um well because both of the other people in built to spill right now are women right yeah it's Teresa, and then there's a woman named melanie and you want to talk about a good bass player holy shit melanie mm-hmm. radford is so good she's got her own band called blood lemon and they're out okay. of Boise. but yeah mel is is crazy she went to school for bass oh okay so she and she's the first uh bass player in built to spill to not use a pick she mm. does it's all finger and i guess which is because it, it can be pretty fast but she's she's great she's so sweet and that is definitely a different sound going from uh pick to fingers yeah mm-hmm. i mean what is that i mean i don't have her on the show obviously but like just from your conversations with t like what is that experience for her because i do know she was like before prison bitch she was like you said i remember having a conversation with her on the yaya shoot where she was like yeah this i wasn't supposed to do this i was going to be done with this you know yeah <laughs> so what is it like for her to be in this like celebrated beloved band yeah, wow. it's. I feel like of everyone in the band, I think we all agree that. I mean, T's T's older, the the oldest person in the band, mm-hmm. and so she's been a musician longer. If anyone deserves 
to be paid as a musician. And what's great mm. about this is that, you know, now she'll, she'll work a little bit in the hospital, but, but yeah, her job is her full-time job now is being in built to spill and she's getting paid to do it, getting nice. paid to be a musician. And it's just so cool to see a friend do that. And obviously it's fun for us too, because now we're tied to more tours opening for them. And right. that's been really great exposure for us because every mm-hmm. time we play for a built to spill audience, we're playing at these theaters that we never get to play when we, we book, you know, launch pad size venues all the time. Right. We're opening for built to spill. We're playing old, historic theaters like El Rey size. Right, right, right. Um, what what is that experience like like the touring experience? Now we've gotten really into the groove of it and we all mm-hmm. get along really well. Um it definitely feels yeah like we've definitely been touring a lot with this other band called Itchy Kitty out of Spokane and they okay. are, they're so good. They're such a good punk band, a little mm-hmm. band of sweethearts. What I appreciate about Doug from Built to Spill's aesthetic is he kind of does, he doesn't want to tour with you if you're cool. He wants to tour with you if you're a person he wants to spend time with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and I think we're all of the same mind, like we're all very kind and silly and nerdy. And so that mm-hmm. so, the, so the vibe is very good on mm-hmm. tour. And he really, really, uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, it's like when we're touring with Built to Spill, we get a writer, you know, we get to be like, all right, in the green room, <laughs> I want hummus or whatever (laughs) yeah that's got to be kind of like feel like a trip yeah and nelson had a really good joke that i like to steal is like we use all parts of the writer like (laughs) nothing goes to waste yeah yeah so that's been really cool and then yeah so for t it's well it's been very you know now i mean she's been it's it's changed the dynamic with our schedule so like she's so busy touring that now we're like okay how do we schedule our stuff mm. but um so far it's working out pretty good um so what's next for you guys like you said you were you just wrote a whole bunch of songs yeah we recorded four of them the newest the next song, single we're gonna release i think is called the fear and that was one of the oh. key when we were in the cabin tea because sometimes it's not necessarily me or lila that will come up with lyrics it'll you know sometimes chris is like here's a song i wrote mm-hmm. uh, and and this one was t was like the fear is based off of an idea she had walking into work the fucking covid unit Mm. and it was like she could hear like sort of like a melody in her head and it felt sort of frantic Mm. and just sort of and so that song was like definitely initiated by t um and so that'll be the next single and then we'll just keep chipping away at recording in la and then put out another full length well this was awesome uh love talking to you always love talking to you you're one of my favorite people to talk to you oh thanks you too (laughs) thanks for letting me talk about my favorite thing which is the band yeah yeah (laughs) oh i definitely when i knew i was gonna have a guest or guests on for the summer like you were one of the first people i thought of so we uh, didn't even get to talk about ghosts I know. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to get you on again uh, and just do a ghost episode. Maybe around Halloween or something. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, that's it. So we'll be back. Uh, I think the next episode. I'm gonna have one of my favorite writers, Gwendolyn Keist, uh, is gonna be on. So look forward to that, all you horror fans. In the meantime, stay weird, stay curious, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Like you crawled inside my brain Somehow Somehow I got one shot One shot to try
give me one look me in the eye Try, just give me one, look me in the eye.